Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter 34C of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Francis Wicks. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Part 3. The Evidences of Evolution. Section 3. Paleontology. Chapter 34C. Probiscidians. Ancestry. Early Tertiary Ancestors. The genus Meritherium, Maris, an ancient lake near which the remains were found, and Beast, comes from rocks of late Eocene and lower Oligocene age in what is known as the Fayum district of the Libyan desert some sixty miles southwest of Cairo, Egypt. The form is imperfectly known, except for the skull, which is unlike that of any other proboscidean in that the face is short, the middle portion long, and there is no indication of a proboscis. However, it does show the beginnings of proboscidean evolution in that the nasal openings are large and are beginning to recede, the air cells are beginning to form in the back of the skull, the second pair of upper incisors are enlarging into tusks, the molars are transversely ridged, and the anterior part of the lower jaw is elongating and becoming spout-like. So much of the skeleton, as is known, indicates an animal about three and a half feet high. This creature was probably a swamp-dweller, living upon the succulent semi-aquatic herbage of the time. It is unrecorded outside of the Fayum, but seems to have existed into the lower Oligocene so as to become a contemporary with the next genus. The succeeding genus in the evolutionary series, Paleomastodon, from ancient and mastodon, was also discovered in the lower Oligocene of the Fayum district, but has recently been reported from the Gaj horizon of northern India in the Siwalik Hills. It is an undoubted proboscidean of larger size than its predecessor and with limbs much like those of modern types. The skull has increased materially in height, with a considerable development of diplo, and the small nasals with their openings have receded so that they lie just in front of the orbit much as in the modern tapers this would imply the development of a short extensile proboscis the upper and lower canine and incisor teeth have entirely disappeared with the exception of the second pair of incisors which have become well-developed tusks those of the upper jaw are large downward curved and have a band of enamel on their outer face the lower jaw has elongated considerably, especially at the symphysis, and the tusks point directly forward, as in Melitherium. The premolar teeth have two, and the molars three, transverse crests composed of distinct tubercles, while the hindermost teeth is tending to develop yet another crest. The neck is fairly long, although the posterior cervical vertebrae tend to shorten. Dinotherium, an extinct proboscidean whose remains have been found in the Miocene and Pliocene of Europe and India, differs remarkably from the contemporary mastodons, mainly in its dentition, in that the teeth, which are more numerous than in the proboscideans in general, and have the normal vertical succession, have but two transverse crests. They are, therefore, the simplest of proboscidean molars. The upper tusks appear to be lacking, and, as we have seen, the lower jaw with its contained tusks, bends abruptly downward at the symphysis. There is evidence for the presence of a well-developed trunk, and the remainder of the skeleton is typically proboscidean. 
the skull and the body and limbs have much the proportions of the american mastodon a gigantic skeleton from the romanian pliocene dinotherium gigantissimum exceeds the largest mastodon in stature we can conjecture little of the origin or of the habits of this form except that its food must have been of a very succulent sort its line must have diverged from the main proboscidean stem very early as even paleomastodon is too far advanced to have given rise to it it represents an aberrant sideline of fairly long duration later tertiary mastodons there is considerable confusion as to the exact relationship of the various species of later tertiary mastodons and their exact phylogeny is not yet clearly understood so the classification here given is tentative and subject to future revision it seems most natural to group together all of the four tusked mastodons with the elongated lower jaw under the name tetrabelodon greek four dart and tooth the study of their molar teeth seems to show that at least two parallel evolutionary lines would be thus included both of which from the trend of proboscidean evolution pass through a four tusk stage classifying them in this way we recognize two principal genera trilophodon three and crest and tetralophodon four and crest in which the intermediate molars milk molar four molars one and two have three and four cross crests respectively trilophodon is the third stage in proboscidean evolution if we omit dinotherium and is well represented by the miocene trilophodon angustidens of which a splendid specimen from Ger, france is preserved in the museum of the jardin des plantes at paris it was an animal of considerable size nearly as large as the indian elephant but differing from it in the enormously long lower jaw which with its contained tusks had reached a mechanical limit of efficiency the downward curved enamel banded upper tusks do not reach much beyond the limit of those of the lower jaw the adult molars have attained such a size that but two can be contained in a jaw at any one time correlated with the great length of the jaws is a marked increase in the diplo of the skull Trilophodon was a great migrant, for not only do we find its remains in Europe and Africa, but it was the first proboscidean to reach North America, and must have come by way of Asia early in the Miocene time. Thereafter, the proboscidea formed an important element in the fauna of North America, until the extinction of the American mastodon in post-glacial time. Trilophodon productus is a well-known Texan specimen from the Pliocene. The group known as Tetralophodon is also long-jawed. One American form, Trilophodon lully, from the Nebraska Pliocene, possessing a mandible at least six feet in length and very heavily built, and the entire animal must have been ponderous. The type specimen, that of a very old animal, has but one badly worn molar left in each jaw. Tetralophodonts are numerous in both the Old and New World. In the latter, they give rise to the next genus to be considered, Dibelodon. In Dibelodon, Greek for two and dart, the molar teeth are similar, and, because the intervening valleys are blocked by additional cusps, form, when worn, a rather intricate enamel pattern. It differs from the tetralophodont group, however, in the loss of its lower tusks and the consequent shortening of the jaw. The enamel band of the upper tusks 
also tend to disappear, and in its final stage we have a form not unlike Mastodon itself, except for the greater complication of its grinders. Dibelodon is found widespread in the Pliocene of North America, and, as far as we know, was almost the only proboscidean to reach South America, where it spread, one species along the Andean highland, another in the lower country to the east. The genus persisted into the Pleistocene, in the southern hemisphere, but in the north was replaced by Mastodon. Mastodon, Greek for breast and tooth, the best known of American proboscideans, belongs in reality to the Trilophodont group, as its intermediate molars possessed but three crests. They also lack the intervening cusps of Tetralophodon, so that the tooth is simpler in its appearance. The lower jaw is shortened in common with that of all later proboscideans, but, as we have seen, vestigial and apparently functionless tusks may be present in some lower jaws, presumably those of the males. The huge specimen, the so-called Warren Mastodon, in the American Museum of Natural History, has but one such tusk, while the Otisville specimen, a splendid young male, mounted in the Yale Museum, has none, nor is there any trace of a socket. The mastodon attained a height about equal to that of the Indian elephant, from seven to nine feet, but was much stockier and more robust in build, a feature especially noticeable in the breadth of the pelvis and the massiveness of the limb bones. The skull also differs from that of the true elephants in its lower, more primitive contour, and although there is a large development of air cells in the cranial walls, the brain cavity is relatively larger. The upper tusks are comparable to those of the elephants in the absence of enamel. Their length may exceed nine feet. There are but two adult molars in the jaws at any one time. The mastodons were Pliocene and Pleistocene in range, outliving the true elephants in North America. In geographical distribution, they range from Europe across Asia to Alaska and thence southward throughout the United States. They seem to have been more exclusively forest-dwelling forms than the true elephants which were their contemporaries. Their remains have been found chiefly as a result of drainage excavations in the swamps and boggy lands where they were doubtless mired and thus preserved from decay. This is especially true in New York, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Michigan, and Iowa, where it is said that almost every bog contains a mastodon. The food consisted of twigs of hemlock, spruce, and other evergreen trees, possibly other herbaceous vegetation as well, and one specimen, found in Ulster County, New York, had preserved with the bones a quantity of long, dense, shaggy hair of a dark golden-brown color. True Elephants In order to trace the evolution of the true elephants, one must go back to the upper Miocene of southern India, to the form known as Mastodon latidens. This creature gave rise to a species variously known as Mastodon elephantoids, that is, elephant-like, or Stegodon, Greek to cover, Clifty, for its transitional character is such that authorities differ as to whether it is a mastodon or an elephant. In Stegodon, the molar teeth have more numerous ridges than in the true mastodons, and the name is given because of the roof-like character of these ridges, the summits of which are subdivided into five or six small rounded prominences. There is a thin layer of cement over the enamel in an unworn tooth, but no great accumulation of it in the valleys, in contrast with the elephants. These teeth show how slight the transition is, 
however add merely a filling of cement to bind the crest together and the elephant tooth is formed true stegodon remains have been found only in southern and southeastern asia which suggests that that region may have been the original home of the true elephants the elephants have been sufficiently defined in the anatomical section of this chapter aside from the living forms two species are peculiar to the european pliocene and pleistocene and two to the north american while a third the hairy mammoth elephas greek for elephant primogenius is common to both and to northern asia as well the european species were elephas antiquitas the straight tusked elephant and elephas meridionalis the former being the more primitive and showing the closest affinity with the living african species loxodonta both these and e primogenius were contemporaries of early man in europe during the glacial period the american species are first e imperator the larger so-called southern or imperial mammoth or elephant as its remains are found in mexico whence it ranged into texas california and as far north as nebraska a single molar teeth described from british guiana seems to pertain to this elephant if so it is the only other species of proboscidean aside from the genus dibelodon recorded from the southern continent the molars of the imperial elephant are distinctive in that the crests are relatively few and the surrounding cement very thick the second american species is elephas columbi the columbian elephant a successor of imperator distinguished by its lesser stature and more numerous crests to the teeth each of the american species seems to have been characterized by the extreme spiral form of the tusks which in old age actually crossed at the tip so that their primal function of digging was utterly lost nor were they efficient weapons of offense or defense they have been cited as instances of evolutionary momentum if such a thing exists and certainly so far as we can see were detrimental to their owner rather than otherwise e columbi is widespread throughout the united states up to the limits of the range of e primogenius which replaced it in the north the distinction between the two species however is not always clear and there may have been transitional forms elephas primogenius is the hairier woolly mammoth the mammoth of popular knowledge it was a near relative of the living asiatic elephant but adapted to withstand the cold of the arctic climate this adaptation lay in the development of a coat of coarse long black hair with a thick coat of brown wool beneath it was circumpolar in its range being found in great abundance along the shores of the arctic ocean but extending southward into spain and italy and europe and as far as north carolina and california in the new world the famous frozen specimens of the siberian tundras that of the lena delta found in seventeen ninety nine and that of bereskova in nineteen o one now mounted in the petrograd museum have been described in chapter twenty five according to matthew the contents of the stomach show that these animals fed upon the same vegetation grasses and sedges birches alders poplars etc that prevails today in the far north they must have been very numerous as their tusks constitute one half of the commercial ivory annually available and represent thus far a herd of no fewer than forty thousand individuals not of course those living at any one time but the accumulation of centuries 
that the mammoth was a familiar animal to prehistoric man is attested by the numerous drawings of them made by the artists of the upper paleolithic age on the walls of caverns the teeth of the mammoth reached a maximum degree of complexity doubtless an adaptation to the harsh vegetation of the north their tusks were of two sorts one shorter and straighter the other a long spiral rivaling the tusks of the columbian elephant in size the mammoth despite its name was not great as it rarely if ever exceeded the stature of the indian elephant of today living elephants there are but two well-defined species of elephants extant and these are reaching the natural limits of their racial life they are first the indian or asiatic elephant elephas indicus or maximus which inhabits the forest regions of southwest and northeast india ceylon burma assam siam cochin china sumatra and borneo during the hot season they are confined to the denser parts of the forest generally near water while during the rainy season they range into the open feeding on the tender grasses the african elephant loxodonia greek for slanting africana is distinguished by its greater size enormous ears lower forehead and larger tusks also by the character of its grinding teeth it is confined to the wooded districts of africa south of the sahara and north of the cunine and zambezi rivers but in many districts it is becoming extremely scarce owing to the persecution of the ivory hunters for its ivory is of a finer quality as well as being more abundant than that of the indian species lucas tells us that in the course of a few years not a single old individual will be left alive and unless they are protected by law they are doomed to a speedy extinction the african elephant is rarely tamed although it may be fully as tractable as its relative a number of subspecies of african elephants have been described most of which are geographical races differing mainly in the form and proportion of their ears end of chapter thirty four c